Hey friends, welcome to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. I'm your host, Eric Nevins. And as always, you can find links that we're going to talk about here and uh, show notes for this episode at halfwaytherepodcast.com. If you haven't left us a rating or review in iTunes uh, or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, please do that. It helps us see be seen by other people, and uh, we'd appreciate it. Hey, today we have a really great guest. She is a writer and an entrepreneur, so she resonates with my heart a lot. I can't wait to hear more of her story. We have Tracy Higley. Tracy, welcome to Halfway There. Thank you so much, Eric. I'm glad uh, to make the acquaintance and can't wait to hear a lot more about your story. So um, tell us a little bit about who you are, what you're doing now. So I've got a lot of different things going on, which makes me often seem like a crazy person to most people <laughs> who know me. So right. um, kind of been on, on these dual tracks my whole life of sort of the creative side and the, the businessy side. So on one side of my life, I have books where I've been writing historical fiction and also nonfiction more recently for a lot of years. And then I've also been I've uh, had some businesses going, kind of had that entrepreneurial thing from the, the early years. And so I've got uh, actually several different companies that I run, um, small businesses. So um, doing both at the same time. And then also Impactivity, which is kind of a kind of the blend of the two in some ways, because I'm writing and speaking and teaching women about uh, kind of living the entrepreneurial life. So that's kind of the the meeting point between the two parts. Oh, yeah. Awesome. So you can take all that experience that you have and help others with it, help them kind of live into that as well. Yeah, because there's so many, it's so easy to have the dream. It's hard to kind of step into the dream. So it's really helpful to have a guide. I know I've benefited a lot from having a coach. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we're all about. And uh, so that's been, that's been a fun sort of result of, of living this crazy dual track life is to be able to bring it together in more recent years to work with other people. Yeah. Fantastic. Okay. Well, let's go back into your story. I want to hear how God brought you to this point. So tell us about your story. Where did you grow up? You're, you're in like Eastern United States. Did you grow up out there? Yes. Grew up in Pennsylvania. Yep. Grew up in a Christian family with, um, you know, family members who were missionaries and pastors and, uh, you know, just kind of that great spiritual heritage that was always in place in my life and uh, great parents that, pointed me to God from an early age. So that's kind of always been part of my story for sure. Yeah. So you, you have that story of growing up, going to church, kind of always having that faith and. Yep. Yeah. From an early age, I, you know, my mom tells me that I trusted Christ when I was three, which to me seems crazy, but you know, I don't, I've I've had three-year-olds, they don't know what they're doing. So I'm not sure exactly where, where that point came, but somewhere, you know, somewhere in those years, for sure. I, I, I remember, you know, later in elementary school, really kind of grappling with what do I believe and, you know, what is the truth and, and, you know, like in sixth grade around there, really thinking those things through. So, so I'm not sure exactly, you know, where that point came, but it came there somewhere. No, I think that's good because that happens to a lot of us. Right. And I kind of, if I'm honest, I want my kids to have that story, right? I want them to be involved. I want them to I want them to know people, good, godly people, and to believe and maybe never even have that. They may have a later experience where it becomes their own. It sounds like that happened for you in sixth grade. Yeah, it's funny. I was thinking about it actually even today because I knew you were going to ask me that question. So I was thinking <laughs> where, you know, what, when I really try to think back, what, what do I see as sort of the point where, you know, it became real to me. And there were actually a couple of things in my head that popped into my head as early experiences. And I think one was fifth grade and one was sixth grade. So one of them was a passage in scripture that I remember 
being taught in Sunday school and it just kind of jumping off the page and becoming really alive to me at that time. And, and that was in fifth grade. And then in sixth grade, I can remember, um, I went to a Christian school and I remember the song that we sang for our sixth grade graduation and the words of that. And I remember singing that at that ceremony and like really meaning it, you know, and knowing Mm -hmm. that I really meant it. And the song was, um, the hymn, take my life and let it be consecrated Lord to thee. Yeah. And so to have that vivid and the passage in fifth grade that I was remembering was Romans 12, one and two, which was kind of the same sort of a theme of, you know, offering my life as a sacrifice. And so I think between those two memories, I can pretty, you know, vividly say that, that at that time in my life, I really was ready to, to turn my own life, you know, to really surrender to whatever God had for me. Yeah. I love that. Okay. So, but then you had to learn. And so, you know, you were in middle school and that's, so you kind of grow and life happens. So how did you learn, like, what were some of the pivotal moments as you were learning what you, you, what this faith life meant? Well, I think from the time I got into late high school, I realized that I was sort of, well, I don't know if I realized it, but I became sort of a, a classic overachiever where I was just kind of all about doing, doing, doing all the time, you know, just trying to put my hand to everything, be involved in everything, be in charge of everything. If I have to be honest, not just doing the things, but bossing everyone around in the things. But, um, part of all of that for me, you know, was the beginning, I think of a journey of like, what does God really, what does God really want from us? And what does he look at with favor, you know, is like how much of this Christian life is really performance-based, I think mm. has been one of the themes of my spiritual growth of, of wrestling with that, you know, trying to figure out how that all plays out. Yeah. Well, tell me more about that because how that worked out in your life besides just having to do, you know, run everything. Like what, yeah. what was that? <laughs> what, what was that like? Cause that, that, I, I think, think this is actually a really important um, piece that a lot of people, it's a question that people ask, how much of this Christian life is really, uh, you know, is, does God expect from us? Yeah. I think, you know, it's not just the Christian life. I mean, that's, that's kind of a blanket statement, but even, you know, digging deeper a little bit into that, I think it's, you know, how much of my own sanctification, if we want to put that big word on it, but you know, the own, my own becoming like Jesus is on me and how much is on God. And, you know, just that whole, even we can go bigger to sovereignty and free will and, you know, all the huge questions we could get into, which we won't, but um, (laughs) I think, you know, my journey, I can see it as sort of this like rising action and falling action. It's probably my, my fiction writing uh, background coming in there, but, but kind of this, these years and years of just trying to achieve and perform and, um, succeed and accomplish and, you know, going up, 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 up until I hit a point that was unsustainable and burned out workaholic health, not doing well, relationships, not doing well, mental health, not in a good place. And so even though I just kind of described that as a, as a rising action and hitting this point, it was, it was more like a bottoming out truthfully. And, um, and so from there, I feel like it's been this second part of this journey, Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and I don't know how many parts there are. So I was just thinking about that as I said it, like, is it the second half or are there more than two parts? I don't know. But now I'm in That's- a phase at least of just trying to recognize that God has a place for me and a purpose for me and things for me to do. And he's gifted me and skilled me to do certain things, but that his love for me is not dependent on my mm-hmm. success or failure and that my identity is not wrapped up in that. So those are hard you know, those are easy things to say, but they're hard to really, truly live out, to be secure, to be in a place where you really feel accepted and loved by God, regardless of what you're doing. 
Yeah, totally. So I want to reiterate a couple things that you just said. So one is, uh, like, so when I first got to Denver Seminary and had to take the spiritual formation class, which is why I came here because they have a great program at Denver Seminary. Um, we described the spiritual journey in a way that I had never thought before. So I always had thought of it as an upward trajectory, right? That I'm just going to keep getting better, better and better. My feeling about God is just going to keep going up and to the right. Um, my connection with him. Right. And, um, and probably my holiness as well with that. But, uh, what, it, what we described it as is no, it's not like that at all. It's more like you said, peaks and valleys. And it just keeps, keeps, you know, you go up and you go down and you, and hopefully the, tra- the general trajectory of that is up into the, to the right, if we want to use that, but it's not necessarily. And I think that's one of the beautiful things. One of the things I want my, our friends here to hear is that it's okay. Like when you hit those kind of moments of, of being in the valley, you know, the psalmist talks about that. Yeah, I think, yeah, the psalmist for sure, there were some verses, you know, in one of my deeper valleys that were really so significant in the psalms to me. But I think, you know, not only would I say it's okay and that it's normal to hit those valleys, but I also almost feel like we will not keep going up and to the right Mm. without those valleys, that they actually, they are actually, we're going to get all metaphorical here, (laughs) they are are the antidote to a plateau, you know, that we would go up and plateau if we didn't drop periodically and figure out how to keep climbing. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I can definitely see those, those significant drops in my life and uh, you know, happening in, on almost like say maybe like a 10 year cycle. I can even see, you know, in my life, which means I'm about due for one. So that's, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I have to think about that. Well, it didn't start here. I'm just going to put that out <laughs> yeah, there. <thanks>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go cry. Yeah, right. (laughs) It wouldn't be the first time I've made somebody cry on this podcast. That's for sure. Uh, Okay. Well, so tell us, I want, uh, take us more into the, the, that kind of doing though phase for you. And so I don't know if that was a 10 year period or whatever, but take us more into like what that was like, the kinds of things that you were doing and kind of how you felt about maybe yourself and God in that period. Yeah. Well, the early years of doing were all involved with, you know, being a young mom, having kids at home. And um, I still had that writing streak and that entrepreneurial streak. So I was, I was writing books on the side, you know, cramming them in during nap time and stuff. And I was also trying to come up with some sort of business that would, you know, give us a little extra money. My husband was a pastor at the time. Well, he might've been a teacher at the time, a Christian school teacher. And so, you know, whichever one he was at the time, we had no money. Right. Neither so. one of them pay very well. I get that. <laughs> Neither one. <yeah. laughs> so, um, you know, I was always trying to come up with schemes and, you know, ideas of ways to make money on the side too. So, um, so those, you know, those years were just busy, busy, busy of raising kids and, and writing and um, trying this, that, and the other thing to make some money from home while I was home with my kids. Um, and so, yeah, just kind of always pushing, always pushing. And then things started to kind of happen where I was getting published and I had a business that started to actually work. And so then it became like this, it was almost like the treadmill sped up twice as fast, you know, because things are now actually working and happening. And, and so I just started running harder and running harder and trying to get it all done. So I was building a business and I was publishing books and I had writing contracts and I had customers and I had kids and, you know, all of that. Um, so, and, you know, there, there was, I'd say there's like one major dip in my life that actually was more about tragedy. And then there was one major dip in my life that was more about my own actions, bringing on that like burnout and just, you know, complete bottoming out. Yeah. To learn so, some of those lessons. So I want to hear those stories. What 
But what were you thinking about God during the busy time? Like, how was that? How was that relationship working itself out? I think, you know, I've always been the church person. So it wasn't ever like I was, you know, had my back to God or my hand up to God and, you know, in like a defiant sort of way. What my issue was, and still is, honestly, is just this feeling of like general unworthiness, you know, general, like I'm not valuable unless I'm doing, I'm not valuable unless I'm getting stuff done, I'm serving, I'm working, I'm putting in the time or I'm racking up the points or I'm, you know, whatever way I want to look at that, that, you know, why would God love me just for no reason? Yeah. Just for, for nothing, for me, just for me. And, you know, and, and I still question that, you know, I still like, I, I, I don't question it intellectually, but experientially I question it, you know, like every day just feeling like, what am I doing? You know, I had a thing, weird thing that happened over the weekend just a few days ago where I had, uh, I had vertigo for the first time in my life, really severe. couldn't even walk. It was very strange. And so I spent basically two days doing nothing. And I, you know, I didn't feel sick as long as I was still and not moving, I was all right. So it was this weird feeling of like, I can't do anything, but sitting here still, I'm bored out of my mind, you know? Yeah. And I think I said a couple of times to my husband, I just feel so worthless. I feel so useless. And he's just laughing. He's like, it's the weekend and you're sitting still and you're, you know, questioning your whole reason for living because you can't, yeah. you know, you can't do anything. So I think that's, you know, it's kind of like an exaggerated um, picture of just how I always feel. I just always feel like God's not going to love me if I'm not getting it done, whatever it is at that moment. Yeah. So do you have any practices to like take you into rest with the Lord? Yeah. I mean, for me, reading is really big. I think, you know, I read, I love to read like the Psalms, but also just kind of the devotional masters and, you know, the people who uh, write on the disciplines of solitude and silence and meditation. I, I love to read what they write and then try to put it into practice and, you know, really take that time to get still. That's really critical for me. Um, it's kind of the opposite. And, uh, the opposite of my natural inclination, you know, is yeah. I don't want to sit still. So to do that is to say, I used to have this phrase I would say all the time when I was, I was trying to really, um, I went through a, a period where I was trying to really, really honor the Sabbath in the sense of like, really felt convicted, not, you know, from like a legalistic way of this is a rule and, you know, God's going to judge me, but just like God has rest for us and this is how he has set it up. And I'm going to really try to step into that and push into that and, and give that one day. And I used to t- call it my day where I took my hand off the plow because I just felt like I was always plowing. I was always pushing and that to take my hand off the plow was like a sign of trust that God has my life in control and that I don't have to constantly be gripping you know, the reins of it. So I think for me to just get still and get solitude and, and silence is a, a big part of, of accepting that I'm okay even yeah. when I'm not working. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Okay, well, take us into some of those experiences that you've had. You said you have you had two kind of valley experiences. Take us into those and explain, you know, kind of what happened. Tell us those stories, and then what kind of your relationship with God, how that grew or was affected. So the first one um, was in my 20s. And um, actually, this is this is actually the first time I've ever really spoken about it publicly. I mean, I, I've spoken about it to people around me and everyone in our life knows this, but um, I haven't ever written about it or spoken from a stage about it. But um, 
we had two daughters and then we had a little boy. And um, the day that he was five months old uh, was basically kind of every young mom's nightmare that I went into his room and he was seemingly sleeping late. And uh, I went in and he wasn't breathing and picked him up and uh, he was blue. And so did CPR, called 911, you know, went to the hospital, all of that. But there was nothing that they could do at that point. And so it was a SIDS death. There was no cause um, given. It was just, he was just gone. So it was, you know, obviously extremely shocking um, yeah. to, to walk through that at that time. Um you know, I had wanted a little boy for, you know, a long time. And it just, yeah, it was, it was very, uh, it just, it just throws you in a way that you really can't ever prepare yourself for, you know, as much as young parents worry about that, you really aren't ever prepared for that. Right. So, um, so that was obviously, you know, just a really difficult time, uh, to walk through and it kind of did set all of all of me aside, you know, like who, who am I anymore? If the things that I've done to be a good person have obviously not spared me from this. So, you know, the things that I do in my every day, I can't do because I can't function right now. You know, So it just, it sort of was like this identity rocking kind of a thing, I think in a lot of ways. Yeah. And, um, it wasn't so much faith shattering to me in, in that time, because I really felt like um, God had us and I was really seeing him speak really clearly through a lot of different things, um, you know, through people, through all kinds of things. I felt, I really felt his arms around us in that time. Mm. Um, but I right away wanted to have another child, you know, wanted another boy, especially. Um, and I think that a lot of that feeling that came kind of surging in right away was all about me fixing the problem, which is again, another kind of a thing that I yeah. sort of yeah, yeah. have some issues with just, you know, always trying to control the situation. And, and, and I just felt like this would fix it if I could have another child. Although of course it wouldn't because it's not the same child, but um, there was some sense in me. I think that I could fix this. I could feel better. I could make myself feel better. And um and so uh, we tried, but it wasn't happening for a while, for for more than a year, which you know, wasn't typical for us. And um, so I struggled through that. And then I finally did get pregnant. And um, when I was about three months pregnant, uh, found out that the pregnancy was ectopic. And uh, so it was not a viable pregnancy. And I had to be rushed into surgery. And it ended up being this really weird mm. medical situation where I almost died in surgery. And, you know, it was just kind of all this stuff that just kept rolling in one after the other. And it was coming out of that, that I really bottomed out spiritually because I just felt like, okay, God, you know, I, I took the first hit and I was a good little soldier for you. I didn't get angry. I didn't badmouth you. I tried to, you know, be a shining light in the midst of this and point people to you and, you know, all the things you're supposed to do. And uh, this was just like, Mm. a slap on the other side of the face, you know, and, and, and just knocking me down. And, yeah. um, so that I would say was really like the spiritually, the lowest point there was just like, there's, what is there nothing I can do to, you know, have things go my way, that kind of thing. So I think that's a question that everybody has to ask at some point. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for sharing that story. Um, <laughs> I, it's, it's painful obviously. And, uh, so I appreciate that. Um, I, I think it's fascinating to hear how uh, 
you know, you tried to soldier on through through the loss of a child, which, um, you know, is devastating, no no doubt. And then, and then it was the next one that you were like, wait a minute, what? You know, that's when the questions came up. You're like, hey, I'll do the things that I'm supposed to do, but I'm going to need you to hold up your bargain. So, but. Yeah. What what was what were the questions you you mentioned a few of them but what were the questions that you were getting you were having for God and then how like what were you feel, were you finding answers were you hearing like nothing what was that what was that like I think you know I I never questioned God's existence I never questioned um, I don't even think I questioned His right to act according to His own mm. sovereign will I think what I questioned was like if He really cared you know, about me and my feelings. And so there was a certain amount of like coldness, I think that crept into my life at that time, a certain amount of like, well, okay, God, you know, you're God and you're going to do your thing, but I don't have to like it. And I don't have to like you for it. You know, (laughs) it was just, so, you know, it was, um, which kind of is all true, you know, like he is God and he's going to do his thing and I don't have to like it. Yeah. So there wasn't really any, untruth in that, but there was, there was a coldness in it for me. And, um, and it just, it took some time, you know, I I can remember one particular Sunday morning where somebody sang a song that kind of broke through some of that for me. And, you know, and I had kind of a cathartic sort of release at, at that time, but it's still, it just, I think it took time to come back around to being able to say those same truths, but in a different spirit to say, you know what, he is God and I am not, and I'm going to submit myself to that and still feel joy in the midst of it and still trust his heart, you know, even if I don't really understand yeah. um, what he's doing. And then, you know, the, the blessing of this doesn't always happen, but the blessing that comes after that, or that has come after that with perspective is to be able to see the things that have come out of that, that have been have been different, you know, for, for us than what would have been Yeah, because of that experience. How are you different because of that experience? Um, I think it's radically changed our parenting, which has just been an interesting thing mm-hmm. that we've kind of noticed in only the past few years as our kids have gone from like late teens into early adulthood, um, early twenties. Um, and we've looked around at our peers and seen, um, other parents and, and just kind of what they're struggling with, with their kids in that same age range. And one of the things I think that it really changed for us is that we were not nearly as controlling as some of the other parents um, in our sphere. Uh, I think a lot of, even maybe, I don't know if I'm gonna say especially Christian parents, but you know, maybe especially Christian parents just have this kind of like, I want my kid to do everything right. I want them to follow Jesus. I want them to, you know, make all the right choices. I don't want them to have any of the mistakes I made as a, as a youth. I, you know, I want to make sure right. that, that everything gets done right. So I'm going to have them here at church and I'm going to make sure they're doing this and I'm going to make sure they're doing that. And we're going to, we're going to construct the perfect, you know, everything around them to guarantee that this kid is going to turn out right. And of course, you know, I'm kind of stating all that in extreme words. So it's obvious that when we, get that crazy about it. You know, there is no guarantee and and things don't always turn out like we want with our kids. But anyway, I just, I think that I found that we somehow, not somehow, I know how early on learned that our kids belong to God and that we did not Mm. have the ultimate say over their lives. And, 
you know, it's pretty impossible not to learn that lesson when your child is taken from you. So we learned that these are not our kids. They're entrusted to us. Um, but God ultimately holds their lives in his hands. And so we don't have to grip quite so tightly. Yeah. So one thing I think it's had an impact on our kids. Totally. So interesting. So one thing you learned was to surrender your, your children to, to the Lord. My wife and I had this conversation just last night. We were talking about, uh, so our kids, we have a driver now, she's 16. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and then we have a high school or a a freshman. And so they drive up to youth group now don't have to take them. It's the best. Yes. Isn't it the best? (laughs) So they go, so they go up and, uh, and I said to them beforehand, I said, said, Hey, I want you to be home by, it gets over at eight 30. I said, be home by eight 45 or so. We're only two minutes away. And my wife's like, why? What is that about? We, you know, and I said, oh, okay, nine, whatever. It's fine. You can hang out with your friends, but you know, you got homework to do, get home. And so later we had this conversation. She's like, Hey, I never had curfews when I was a kid. Cause my parents trusted me. And I think mm-hmm. we should trust our, our kids too. And what a gift that is to them, you know, to, to yeah. be able to just let them kind of do their own thing or make their own mistakes and kind of be, be there. The other thing is, yeah, as you were speaking, I was thinking, man, we try to set these up these worlds that are perfect for our kids. The problem is if you don't have any kind of suffering or the suffering of consequences of your behavior, like even if when you're younger, they're much less hopefully than, than when they're, they're bigger, like you don't grow, you don't, you don't develop. And so your kids need to kind of make some mistakes. Hopefully they make the small ones and learn some responsibility as they're, as they're getting older. And and it's lovely when they make those mistakes at at thirteen and fourteen yeah. when they're still in your house right. and you still have room to speak into that and you have room to to be able to be there when they're, you know, living through the consequences and and all of that. But when we don't let them make any mistakes until they're out of the house, we're we're not there then. We don't have any voice. Yeah. And they have way more freedom to make you know huge mistakes that involve, you know, much bigger life altering kinds of decisions than just, you know, things that would happen at thirteen or whatever. So right. Yeah. So I do think that that's, you know, it's kind of weird. It's a little bit of a big abstract thing to like, look at my adult children and see how they were affected by their brother's death, um, you know, years ago, but I definitely can trace kind of a line through that as one of the things that's come out of it. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Well, thanks for sharing that again. I just, uh, I just think that's, uh, it's very vulnerable. And so I appreciate that. Um, What is a, so take us, take us from there. Like what, what else did you, did you learn? You said you had another kind of Valley experience that we can go there. Yeah. So maybe like nine or so years later, you know, again, I was back into the, the writing and the entrepreneurialism and, and all of that. And the business was growing and the books were selling and, you know, everything was, was clicking along really well, except, um, you know, I just, I couldn't do it all. And, um, at that point, you know, again, I, I just, I bottomed out. I was so burned out. Um, we had one Christmas where, you know, I, I have always loved Christmas and I've just, I love all the traditions of it. And, you know, I just always wanted to do everything perfectly and do it, you know, mm-hmm. give my kids the perfect Christmas experience. And this Christmas, I just basically could not keep up with everything that was going on. And, um, and I just kind of lost it. I lost it on Christmas Eve. It was bad. It was seriously bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, there was, there was the moment on Christmas Eve where, we were, we left church, the Christmas Eve service. My husband took my kids to Wendy's for chicken nuggets. Cause we had no food. Oh, wow. And I went across the street to the, um, gas station mini Mart to buy all of their stocking stuffers to put in their stocking that night. Cause I had not yet get, gotten that done. And 
just, you know, the weeping and the, it was just, it was bad. I'm sure the guy in the gas station probably thought, you know, I was a poor alone person on Christmas <laughs> buying all kinds of, you know, nuts and chips, but, <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, yeah, it was just this big glaring, you know, failure, 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 failure. Like you are not doing it. You are not what you're supposed to be. You're not keeping up. And so I just felt like I had to just run away. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to run away. I wanted to leave. And, um, I didn't even know what that meant, honestly, at the time, you know, it wasn't like I wanted to leave my marriage or abandon my kids, but I just wanted to escape. And I just wanted to be gone just out of it. I couldn't, I couldn't do it anymore. I just couldn't. So I tried to kind of push forward for a few weeks and it just, it wasn't happening. And so by like mid January, um, I, my husband gave me his blessing to just take off and go on a trip by myself. So I went away for almost a week and, um, just really pulled away from everything and tried to stay away from media and everything. I just took some books with me and that was where I felt like I really truly met God in terms of like, what what's going on here in my heart? This is not a time management problem. This is not a scheduling problem. This is not just, oh, I've overcommitted and I need to cut a few things out or, you know, like something is really wrong here that I am in this emotional state that I'm in, you know, where I'm contemplating just running away from my whole life, you know? Yeah. And what I felt like God really started speaking to me about in that time was how much of my identity I had begun to tie up in what I did rather than who he said I was and, you know, who he, he made me to be even, but my, you know, my achievements and accomplishments and successes and the to-do lists and the tasks done had become everything to me. And I started, I was actually reading books on addiction at that time when I, when I went on that trip, because I was starting to really recognize that getting things done had become an addiction for me and that, I never felt like I got enough. You know, the high was never enough. There was always more I had to work on and more I had to get done, more I had to cross off. And um, it, like any addiction, it was, it was damaging my relationships, my health, um, my sanity, my quality of life, you know, it was, was sort of spiraling just because I had become so addicted to getting things done, more done, more done, more done. So it was really kind of a radical week for me spiritually. Um, in terms of things just sort of getting like ripped away, but then other things getting poured in, you yeah. know, just like re- reassurance and um, yeah, trying to kind of uncover where some of that had come from. How did I get to that point? You know, things through childhood and early adulthood, you know, what messages had come to me that had kind of put that in my head, you know, that God wasn't going to love me if I didn't do enough, serve enough, accomplish enough. Yeah. So, yeah. So I would say, so I was about 10 years ago and I would say, that these last 10 years have been about trying to live out what I know to be true, you know? Yeah. Like so until that point I was sort of deceived and now I feel like I understand better, but I'm still just trying to live it out. Yeah. That's so interesting. You were in, so there, there is, this is, this is fascinating. There's a book and I talk about it all the time. It's called the critical journey. I don't know if you've read it, but no. it's, um, it's about the stages of spiritual development. And one of them is doing, it's a series, it's, you know, it's doing stuff. And that's, so, you know, usually these are the people who are at church every, you know, they're involved, right? They, they're the church when it's open or whatever. And, um, you know, and that's good. It's a good thing. But if it becomes your identity, maybe it's not a good thing, right? There's at some point you grow through that and you start yeah. to discover yourself. So I'm curious about 
you, so you discovered, okay, um, God doesn't just love me for what I do. What did he say to you or how did you discover kind of who you were apart from that? I think I had to sit for a while in mm-hmm. just the, the nothing, you know, the, the, like I was a obsessive list maker. Um, and a lot of that has, has come back into my life in a healthier way. But at the time I just, you know, had lists of lists and it was insane. <laughs> um, and I took all of them with me. I had printed them all out when I went on this trip and I felt like God was telling me to just throw them away, like with no record of them, delete, gone, you know, nothing. And that whatever was really, truly important that he would bring it back to mind. And so I did that in sort of this act of obedience. Um, And I remember thinking that it was going to be so hard and I was going to just be suffering, you know, and trying to like, just be strong through this experience of like cutting things out of my life. And it really wasn't, it really was lovely. (laughs) It was Mm. a time of real just rest, I think, you know, and me just really being able to accept that God loved me, um, that I didn't need to perform or achieve. Um, And so I feel like there was, you know, there was, I don't know, I can't really put a time on it, but maybe there was a year or two of just really kind of settling into that. And then trying to ask myself the questions of, okay, you know, this is true. This is the foundational truth that I believe about who I am and my identity, you know, and and what Christ has done for me and what that means. Um, But now, you know, but now what? I I know that he's given me certain gifts and experiences and skills and talents and a heart for certain people and certain things. And so how, you know, how can I go forward in freedom and just use those things in a way that brings me joy, brings him joy, builds a kingdom, uh, is not earning me anything. It's not earning me points, but, or his favor, but, uh, it's just how he wants me to sort of partner with him in building the kingdom. What does that look like? Yeah. It's being you. Me being me. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so fascinating. I, I always say, I I don't, I I get annoyed at some of our Christian language about being Christ, you know, being like Christ. Uh, I don't want to be Christ. I want to be me. Uh, in Christ, you know, that, that yeah. that's who God's made me to be. That's what I hear you saying. Yeah. And it's one of the things, you know, like saying about, you know, just wanting to work with, with other people kind of along these lines of like how to live this sort of busy, productive entrepreneurial life, but also in terms of, you know, how does that fit into my faith? And so that is one of the things that I, I just feel really passionate about, um, about helping people, women, especially, because I think we struggle with this, mm-hmm. honestly, um, of just being able to see myself as a whole person and see all the different things that I am and see all the different things I've been given and um, the heart that I have and all of that. And like, how does all of that fit in to what I'm called to do in my life? You know, how do I bring all of that into it and not say, oh, well, you know, these are the things I love, but obviously they must not be spiritual or they must not be part of my Christian life. Cause you know, that would be too much fun. So let's just put that over here on a shelf. You know, that's like my, my playtime. That's my hobby. That's my, whatever, you know, like, no, God gives you all of those things. Like none of that is outside of God. All of that is, you know, part of who he made you. So why would he give you these skills or enjoyments or, you know, whatever you want to call all those things, why would he give them to you and then say, you know, but don't use them too much. Don't, you know, right. don't, uh, <laughs> don't actually make them part of your life. That's just for when you have a few extra minutes to spare when you're not doing the thing you're supposed to be doing. I just don't believe that. I really, no. I think he gives it all to us to use. Man, I don't either. I love that. I think we, as we discover ourselves, we become who God wants us to be. And, uh, that, 
that is the that's the place. And so we can shed all the other expectations. It's interesting, you know. So what you said about you know women especially get these messages, right? You 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 have to be enough in all these different arenas. If you have a job, your job. If you have a family, your family. Uh, and then there's no time for you. I know my wife struggles with that all the time. She feels like she's got to maintain our relationship, which, you know, there's that, but <laughs> there's me, there's the kids, there's the, there's work, there's all those things. So it's all these, this kind of juggling that she feels. Juggling and fragmented is a word I like to use, yeah. you know, where, um, because for me, at least, you know, I, I kind of think the whole multitasking juggling thing is, is kind of a myth. And, you know, really we're just, we're doing a little bit of this, then we stop that and we do a little bit of this and then we stop that and we do, you know, and life feels very fragmented. And, and some of that is learning, you know, techniques to be able to focus and to be able to give the time to things that you need to. Some of it is about managing your energy, quite honestly, because sometimes there is more time at the end of the day for more, but there's no more energy for more. And so, um, sometimes it just Mm. takes some real intentionality about managing your energy to be able to use the time that you can find in the best possible way to put towards things. Sometimes it takes hard decisions about um, our lifestyle, even our money, our purchases, whatever to say, okay, you know, I've got these things I feel like God's wanting me to do or pursue or is, you know, calling me or gifting me to do, but I can't because I'm too busy earning this paycheck or doing, you know, doing this other thing that I'm committed to or whatever. So is it possible that God's asking us to, to shut some of that down, you know, to make room for, uh, what he w- really wants us to be doing, you know, I, it's it's hard to say. Everybody's different, but uh, we are really fragmented, and I think it t- does take some intentionality to figure out, you know, am I really doing what I'm supposed to be doing? I, r- I wrote this book, Impactivity, and the subtitle is "What if I'm working hard on all the wrong things?" Oh wow, yeah. And I feel like that's a question we we don't want to ask ourselves. <laughs> like we do, but we don't. It's know? a hard question. It's a hard question yeah. to ask. Okay, so the working hard is 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 a given. We know we're working hard, but you know. Right. Well, take us into that then. Take take us like, what are the right questions? I think that's that's one right question. You know, what what if I'm working hard on all the wrong things? But the second, you know, then we start to follow up with other questions, and um, like in impactivity, we have these six elements that we talk about, and the first one is dream. So it's really just saying, okay, like, what is my dream, and how do I reconcile that with what I believe to be, quote unquote, God's will. For my life, you know, the way that we think of it in Christian circles, like, well, there's, you know, this thing you're supposed to be doing. And then I have this dream. Well, is it possible that they could be one and the same? You know, right. like, what does that look like? Let's just step into that and start asking questions about that to start with. Right. What if the dream is there because God put it there? Exactly. Not because it's exactly. just you. Yeah. Yeah. And not just the dream, but all the like things we talked about, the skills, the gifts, the experiences, the, you know, the heart that you have, the things that have come into your life that have pushed you in certain directions, the, you know, the nature, the nurture, all of it, you know, what if all of it is all melded together in this thing that is really at its core, who you're supposed to be, but you're just kind of shoving parts of it aside. So the very first question is, do I have a dream and what is it? And what do I, how do I bring that dream to the feet of Jesus and say, you know, what do I do with this? How do I look at this? Am I supposed to be? Am I allowed to? Where do I go with this? You know, I think that's that's the really that's the first question. The second question is the second element that we talk about in impactivity, and that's unshackle, which is okay, how the heck am I gonna do that? You know, like once we yeah. kind of outline this dream, it's like, well, that sounds great, but 
like, yeah, in what time, in what space am I going to put that in my life? So getting free to be able to pursue the things that God is pulling you towards, you know, that's, I think the next step. Yeah. Letting go of some of the expectations that you have of yourself uh, that maybe aren't part of the dream. And sometimes expectations other people have of you. Yeah. Letting go of that too. The commitments you've made, the things you've said yes to that you never should have said yes to. Yeah. The things you've bought that you never should have bought. I mean, there's, it can go deep, you know, it could be scary. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. (laughs) I find that really powerful. And it, it's huge though, once you understand yourself, right. And you understand what that you get, get a little glimpse of that dream. You start to have different criteria about what's in, what's out. Yeah. We have an exercise that we do um, that involves like these three circles, like a Venn diagram, you know, where they overlap and there's the, what's in the intersection of the three circles and um, like to step women through this and, and we put something different things in these three circles. And then you start to see what's in the intersection of those three. And there's a lot of things in our life that are only in one circle or in two circles. And, you know, we need to kind of hone in and figure out like, yeah, there's lots of things I like. There's lots of things I could do. There's lots of things I enjoy responsibilities, all of that, you know, they're all kind of fragmenting and circling around, but there is this nucleus that kind of hits all the different points of me. And, um, you know, in that center, I think is where we find what I call the dream, but what I mean is just the thing God's given you to do, whatever that is. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. Okay. Well, so I love all of that. Um, you know, friends, you can find links to, um, everything that we talked about and Tracy's website, Impactivity, um, at halfwaytherepodcast.com on the show notes for this particular episode. Tracy, anything else you want to leave us with as we as we wrap up here? Um, well, first, I guess I would just say, yeah, I would love to have people come join. We've got a, a podcast, Impactivity. So obviously, you know, your listeners are podcast listeners. So we'd love to have them join us too, especially Christian women who are really kind of trying to figure out the whole entrepreneurial life or business life, how that all works for them. Um, come and join us. We talk about all kinds of good topics and we've got lots of resources and stuff too. Um, That would be one thing I would say. But secondly, I think just as kind of a closing thought, one of the things I'm really passionate about is not seeing people stuck where they are. And Mm -hmm. I think this is something that is really easy to have happen, you know, because life is busy, because we don't want to ask the hard questions, because we don't get time and space to really think and process. uh, We just kind of keep going on as per usual, you know, status quo, just maintain you know, keep your head down kind of thing. And I just really believe that God has so much more for us. Um, You know, that this abundant life thing is for real and, you know, it's available and it's not about my own fulfillment, my own happiness, whatever. It's about partnering with God to do whatever he has for us to do. So I think the thing I'm passionate about is telling people just please don't stay stuck. Please don't stay where you are. Please take whatever steps you need to take to, to push into what God has next for you. I love that. Friends, get unstuck. You don't have to stay where you are. And especially if you have that little uh, feeling in the pit of your stomach or the back of your mind that, you know, maybe I'd like something else. There's an uneasiness there. Um, You guys all know what that's like. You've been there. If you're having that now, go out, do something, do something today to help yourself uh, take that seriously because you need to. And so you can go to uh, Tracy's website, you know, this, she's got this course. You can check that out. She, we talked about two questions. You said there's six questions. So you can figure out what those other yep. questions are, <laughs> go through all of that and, uh, and find out what it is God might be planting into your, into your heart to actually step into. Um, it's huge. It's huge. And 
I think you'll be happier. I really, really do. So Tracy, it's been fun. I, I appreciate your, your vulnerability again, but I, I just love this conversation. It's been really, really fun. So thanks for being here. Thank you. Really glad to be here. Thanks, Seth.